For everybody else, you can open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. But if you want to prepare your tabs, we'll also be in John chapter 11 and Revelation 12 today. I hope you all enjoyed the children's Christmas play Friday night for those of you who are here. It was wonderful. It made me laugh a lot. It was a sweet service and things like that, they always have their chaos because life always has their chaos. And I won't let that or a dead remote battery or any of these other things get in the way of us just enjoying our time together and getting to see God at work amongst his people and let us enjoy us worshiping him. As we enter into our time today in the word, let us open now in prayer. Father God, I just pray that your spirit and your truth would be evident today. God, as we look into the words, as we look into the, the actions, the victory, the purpose of what your son accomplished on the cross, as we see the enemy for who he is, and oh Lord, as we just recognize the freedom that we have now. God, it's a simple prayer, and it's, it's just all that we can ask for is that we can just see and understand. And from that truth, live it out. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Hebrews 2, chapter 14, or sorry, Hebrews 2, verse 14, it says this. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, remember, we have just been, it's been made clear last time we were in Hebrews that the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them, to call us brothers and sisters. Again, I will trust him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. That's what we've come to now, recognition of many of the works of what Christ has done in Hebrews, of, of who he is, of his character reveal, of God's heart revealed, of the family in which we're a part of. And now this, now since the children, meaning us, have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these. Jesus, he came and he took on the flesh and the blood of a human man, even though he had been with God since the beginning, all things were created through him. No, not one thing that has been created wasn't created by him. All things were. Everything was created through him and for him. We see that earlier in Hebrews in chapter 2. We see that in, first, or in Colossians as well. And this is where it stands. Jesus shared in the flesh and blood that we all have in common so that he could have it in common with us. God humbled himself and took on this form, but still had the, f the fullness of himself dwell within him. So he was flesh and blood, and yet he was God. 
He is these things still. And he did this so that through his death, as we see in the verse, so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. And that's as far as we'll go today. That's as far as we'll go today because it's something so foundational to each and every day of our lives, so foundational to our understanding of who Christ is, so foundational to, the, to us recognizing who our enemy is and the state in which he exists now, that we shouldn't rush any further. This is the truth that we see today, that Christ came and through his death, he had victory over death. And not just the idea of death, not just the, the act of death, not just when our lives end, but over the ruler, the one who held the power of death. He partook in that, and then he ripped the keys. He took the power. He crippled it. He, he destroyed it at its foundation, the one who held the power over death, and that is the devil. So that... He could free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. And so we know how he did this. He did this by his death upon the cross. He did it by taking on all the weight of all of our sin, all of our death upon himself so that he would bear the burden. Because only he could. A righteous and holy and just God is the only one who could pay the penalty of debt and sin for all of the world. He was the sacrificial lamb. He's the high priest, as we will come to see throughout the rest of these pages in Hebrews. But this is how he's represented here and now as the one who has taken victory over death. And victory not in a way in which only he is glorified, but for the benefit of those who would believe in him. And he did this by sharing in common with us our flesh and our blood. And later on, we'll learn about the sin and the temptation and the struggles that he had to face. And yet he did not succumb to. And that is why he is who he is. But this is the truth that we see now. And so we see Christ standing victorious, the one who brings freedom. But here we see the enemy who held, does not hold, but who held at the time when Christ took his body upon the cross. He held the power of death. That is the devil. That is the serpent. That is the great dragon. And now that has been taken from his hands. If you will turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. We see him described early on in chapter 12. There's a great and fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads there were seven crowns. This is a picture of a vision that God gave, Christ gave to John to show him to understand. He talks about the dragon standing over the woman and Christ coming from them, waiting to devour the child. He did not devour the child. And then we see this in verse 7, Revelation chapter 12. Then war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. And so the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, 
the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, it goes into a proclamation I want to read for you in a moment, but it's important for us to recognize before we move any further that this is who the enemy is. This is what happened to him here. We see in Revelation 12 just a a revisioning of everything, every way in which the enemy has tried to come against the plans and the son of God. Tried to kill the son as a child. He tried to devour him, and yet he could not. He went to war in heaven, and yet he could not prevail. We're going to see later on, if you go to uh, the end of 19 and then to 20, that when Christ returns, the enemy comes against him, and he is bound. And then he is bound for a certain amount of time, and then he is released. He does not break free. He does not have that type of power. And then he is ultimately abolished and thrown into a lake of fire forever. The enemy has continuously lost, repetitively, and he will never stand in victory again. And that's why in verse 10 in Revelation chapter 12, it says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. These things have now come. The salvation and the power and the kingdom and the authority of his Christ, they are here. Says this in contrast, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, he has been thrown down. This deceiver, this serpent the father of lies. He is named and named over and over again and described throughout the word of God. But here we see in verse 11, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb, meaning the brothers and sisters, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they do not love their lives to the point of death. They therefore rejoice you heavens And you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. His time being short is the state in which this broken enemy exists today. Here we see in Hebrews chapter 2, going back, that his power has been taken from him to an extent. He is not yet bound And he is not yet ultimately destroyed. But at this point where we live in the church age, he has had his keys. He has been crippled. He has had his wings clipped. Look at it in whatever way you must look at. But what has come to fruition now in a partial sense will later on be done in full. But the enemy has been defeated. It was through Christ's death that he destroyed the devil, his power. His purpose, his purpose here was to free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. That fear is derived from the fact that whether we recognize it or not, each and every one of us has to understand the reality that you will die. I don't say this to be insensitive. 
And it would be considered insensitive because it, it's going to affect each and every one of you. 80 years from now, 85 years from now, no one in this church will be alive. Highly unlikely. A hundred years from now, almost guaranteed. From our infants to our elderly, none of you will still be here. No one you know will still be alive on this earth a hundred years from now. And that time flies by in a hurry. Many of you can attest, those of you who are 50, 40, 80, you know it goes by fast. So why do we live if we have seen the victory that Christ has had, if we, if we understand this truth, why should we hold on to the fear of death? Because we do. We do. We think that the worst thing that could happen to one of our loved ones or to ourselves would be for them to die. That is a true fear. And for those of you who have a loved one or for you yourself who does not have the salvation in which Christ died for so that you may live, then that is a real fear because there is an eternity that comes after this. If we believe a word of what God says, there is an eternity coming. So that's why it's important to note after recognizing the glory of God that his salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has now come, people will still die. Revelation makes that very clear. Out of all the things that are unclear, we do see that things are coming to an end, but new things will come. And that's why it says here, you know, it, it goes in, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that the liar, the deceiver who accuses them before our God day and night, he has been thrown down. By Christ's work upon the cross, he has been thrown down. By the blood of the lamb, he has been conquered and is conquered again by those who trust in it. They conquered him, these brothers and sisters, the fellow believers, the Christians, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb. They conquered the enemy, the devil, the serpent, the dragon, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not love their lives to the point of death. They were willing to give it up. But we're so fearful and it because it still hurts. God knows it still hurts. And I know that he does because he makes that very clear if we turn to John chapter 11. I was so scared to preach on this. I wanted to do the rest of chapter two, put it all in one big thing and kind of bury it under some other stuff. But the enemy woke me up with a bad dream at 1 a.m. last night and that gave me enough time to figure out that I need to do what I need to do. John chapter 11, verse 17 is where we'll start. This was after he had been warned that this man that he loved, he loved him. Bible makes that clear, says it right there, black and white. 
Jesus loved Lazarus, and he loved his sisters, this family, and yet he intentionally waited up until this point. He tarried because he knew Lazarus would pass away, and he wanted to take this opportunity to glorify God. And so this is when he comes in. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha, to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. And as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house, and Martha confronted him. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, we don't know the tone of how she says this. Because text does not always denote that. But whether you see it in, a, in an angry way, whether you see it in a mournful way, whether you see it in a, a righteous a scream or a sob or a whisper, this is how Martha greeted him with this. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet, yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus tells her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? He is standing there in front of this woman who is suffering the greatest loss. She has come to him. She has recognized his authority in these things. And she is even, it's recognizable that she has trusted in the promises of what God has said before. That he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus clarifies to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And if the one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And so he asks her point blank, do you believe this? Do you believe I am who I say I am? Do you believe that I have the power and the authority to put this into motion for you to trust in me, not just with your life right now, but with your life in eternity? Do you believe this? Do you believe in me? And she tells him, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. And now we know that Jesus goes on. And we get down to verse 35, and we know because he saw the sorrow and the heartbreak of those around him, even though Christ knew that everything was going to be better, that he was going to resurrect Lazarus, he saw the hurt, he saw the weeping, and he saw their troubled hearts. And he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled, and he wept. He wept. Our God, 
the creators of the heaven and the earth, the one who spoke the world into motion, the one who is the alpha and the omega, the one who will one day come riding in on a white horse and will take back his world and he will take up his people. In all of his power, and as much as it seems like he is above it all, his heart for us is so near because he shared in the flesh and blood. And he did it so that he could be with us and be one of us and be there for us. And so he weeps now with us. Even though, even though he knows everything one day is going to be okay. Even though he knows that the victory, even now as he sits at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us, Even now, if the accuser, the devil, the enemy still stands there and accuses God's people day and night as he goes before God and he says, look, they fit. Look at how they failed, God. Look at how they're unfaithful. Look at what they're watching. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they're thinking. Look at what they're saying. And day and night, he accuses us before our father. And yet Christ is there interceding on our behalfs saying, it's nothing that I haven't covered. It's nothing that I didn't handle. It's nothing greater than the blood that I have shed for them. And God is comforted and we are made whole and we are good in his sight. That's why he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Because the only thing that could bring us shame, the only one that could bring us death, he has been defeated. And by believing in Jesus, by believing in him, we have access to this freedom so that we no longer have to be slaves to the fear of death. No longer. My life, his hands. My future, clay in the hands of a father, a loving father, the potter. Break and shape, mold and mix as he will. And so if I trust him, the God who has my best interest in mind, the God who says that what the enemy will use for evil, God will use for good, the one who says that he's going to bring me to a place of completion one day, we can't live in fear anymore. Because if you live in the fear of death after you have trusted Christ with your life, with your eternity, then you are re-enslaving yourself to the broken enemy, the one who has had that power taken from his hands. You are re-enslaving yourself to the one who still kills and destroys, the one who accuses you day and night before the Father. And he should have no power over us anymore because that is why Christ died and was resurrected so that we may have true life and life eternal. It doesn't mean we should count our lives as cheap. They're not cheap. Christ paid a high price for them. It doesn't mean that we're things worth throwing away. We're not. We are made. We are crafted by the hands of a loving father. We are knit together in our mother's womb. He knows every hair on our heads and he loves us. 
It doesn't mean that when a brother or sister passes away or when they're on their way towards it, that we should not love them and encourage them and admonish them, but ultimately it's that we should trust God with everything, our days and our nights and our lives, because though some look like they're closer to death than we are, your tomorrow is not promised. Age does not dictate when you leave this earth. Maturity or wealth or how many plans you have, that does not dictate when you will leave this earth. And so each and every day that you have, it is a gift. And it is a gift that has been given to you so that you can spend it in unity and communion with God and in fellowship and in service to your brothers and sisters. So we have purpose and we have the freedom to live it out without fear of death. And so why? It's because doubt creeps in. It's because we make idols out of our wants. We make idols sometimes out of our loved ones. But this is the truth of it. That just because at, at any time, at any time, this heart of mine, it could stop beating. I know that genetically that's possible for me. I know that because of all the Doritos and Mountain Dew, it's also a high likelihood. <laughs> but it's the truth. And so if it's still beating right now, God, what, what do you have for me? And God, if it's eating right now and, and you do have something for me, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, through your word or through the wise counsel of people around me, God, put me to the task. That should be the desire of all of our hearts because whatever his will for me is, whatever I should be seeking with this gift, not, not enslaved to the fear of death, but living my life for the Lord, it's greater than whatever I can come up with, whatever good thing I could, that I could desire, whatever good thing I could pursue. It's not going to be greater than the God thing that he has for me. And so when we talk about the Prince of Peace, when we talk about the hope of Christmas, look at what Christ has done for us as he came in the flesh in the form of a babe as he lived as one of us, as he lived amongst us, and as he did something that none of us could ever, ever do. How grateful. How marvelous. And so let us stand now and worship him for it. Terry, if you'll come forward. And if all will rise, we're going to sing another song. If you'd like to pray, this altar is open.